episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, Silver Lake, West Los Angeles. Oro was created by our old friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission to create a place where addicts and alcoholics are treated with connection and compassion rather than control. Their staff has decades and decades and Decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI, and they make sure when you go to Oro, you are cared for like a person, not like a name on a piece of paper or a number or anything like that. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. They have the fucking surfing, equine therapy, the spiritually potentially transformative sweat lodge, and so much other good stuff. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I highly recommend going to Oro. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. And I know I've talked to you guys about the Sober Buddy app, and I think you guys should check it out. But I want to tell you today is that Sober Buddy has just opened up a crowdfunding campaign that allows you to own a piece of the company, which is super cool. You help them raise the money they need, and they give you shares. It's a win-win. You can purchase shares in the Reg CF offering and raise capital for future expansion. You can find the link to their campaign on the Dopey website, dopeypodcast.com, or on their website, yoursoberbuddy.com. Dopey Podcast is proud to announce a very different kind of dating game show. From the makers of The Next Wrong Thing, and it's good to be bad, comes The 13th Step, an ill-advised and extremely inappropriate experiment in recovery romance. The show pits the wits of one lonely and acutely horny old-timer who has more than five years of recovery to three insecure and vulnerable newcomers with less than 30 days clean. And the only requirements are a desire to stop drinking or using and the willingness 
to make the worst decision of their lives. If you experience joy from someone else's pain, then you'll love the 13th step. Watch as these contestants go from lusty infatuation to crushing incarceration. Tune into this train wreck coming in the spring of 2019 on Viceland. Probably in a 4 a.m. slide. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, and Happy New Year. My name is Dave, and I'm joined by the the seldom heard but sometimes heard producer of Dopey, Sam. Welcome back. Uh, thanks, Doug. It's really a it's a pleasure to be on the show. Did you prefer when they called me Dan or Doug? I think Doug's funnier. Dan, it seems like a natural uh, way to screw up your name. Uh, but Doug's not even close. Doug is like, they, they went out of their way to disrespect. Yeah, well, somebody, well, I celebrated a birthday a couple of days ago, and somebody on Instagram said, even though on your caption you said, happy birthday, Sam, somebody said, happy birthday, Max. They they said, happy birthday, Max, to you? Yes. Yeah, that's funny how that goes. People get yeah, ideas in their head. Yeah, and I, I don't if I'm, uh, you know, dopey producer Max to them. That's what they hear when they hear the name Sam or um, whether they were taking the piss, which is actually what I think might have happened. I don't think so, because why do you think they were dugging you? Yeah, I think they might have been dugging me for sure. Yes. Now, before we, we get any further into this podcast, I almost said broadcast, but podcast, I need to make a terrible announcement which is that dopey producer Sam is gonna go on an un, unknown. How do we how do we say this, Sam? How do we say this? Well, I'm taking a. Uh, I will be taking in the year 2022 or the upcoming year tomorrow, starting a sabbatical, Oy a hiatus, if you will, of an undetermined length. An extended hiatus of an undetermined length. So, dopey nation, stand by. Stand down. Prepare. Store. Don't stand down. Dave, do you even know what that means? It means get ready. That? It means get ready. Because you, know, you know what it means when you say stand by and stand down. I do. It means don't do anything crazy yet. Yet. All right. All right. What All I'm right. saying is that no one in the Dopey Nation knows who I might be bothering to, to salvage the show without you. Right. Well, I think there's a whole world out there that, uh, you know, can assist you, um, you know, in making the, you know, the, the dopey show. Well, hold on. Before we even get any further, it cannot be underestimated the value that Sam has had on the dopey show. And so first, before we say anything else, I thank you. Uh, the work you've done has been noble work. And uh, I know I'm not always the easiest person to work with, so I thank you. And I'm going to give you a round of applause. Can you hear it? Oh, that's the theme song. Here's the round of applause. Thank you. So let me get a little longer. Hold on. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's better. All right. Dopey Nation, I hope you were clapping along. Now, Sam, now we are going to reflect on uh, what do you think? You know, it's like, how do you feel coming on to the last show of the year that is the last show before your extended, undetermined length hiatus from the show? How are you feeling? Well, um, I feel there's, uh, you know, some sadness uh, about leaving because I know that that's going to leave a giant hole in my, um, you know, days um, because we would talk for hours on end almost every day uh, and have been doing that for the last three years and four months. And it's been great fun, extremely satisfying um, and has been a huge uh, component of my recovery. And uh, so that's been great, but I'm also really excited about, uh, the future, the year uh, of Sam, I, the year of Sam, when I broke the news to you, you know, I, there were some things that I wanted to, that I need to address in my life. And that's just my mental health and my physical health. And, um, and I just, you know, I have to be honest with the dopey nation and you is just, you know, I, I've been, uh, a little angry. I've been, you know, a little fucked up. I've been a little out of place. Um, and I don't know why. Would you say you've to... been out of pocket for yourself? Uh, maybe. For that, that is a good way to say that. Yes, I definitely have not prioritized, um, you know, my wants and desires and needs, uh, you know, for whatever reason. It's not that I've been neglecting myself, but I... Uh, but I'm going to be able to now focus, uh, you know, on happiness. And, and you focus and, on whatever it is you want to focus on. You know, you, right. you'll get to draw focus on this thing. And if anybody in the Dopey Nation doesn't know, Sam is also a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. And, uh, and Sam and I met, how long ago, Sam? We met, uh, and we, uh, I, it still astounds me that you don't remember, but it was March 23rd of 2003 in Delray Beach, Florida. So we're talking about 18 years ago? Mm-hmm. So 18 years ago, um, Sam and I first met uh, at Renaissance in Delray, and uh, and, and, and Sam got to, to Renaissance and like... I think within a first the first few days of Sam being in Renaissance, I got into some major trouble, and they stuck me in your room. Right with my with the you know the probably the worst therapist in the history. No of no 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 no. I mean they actually. You remember they oh, actually right. stuck me in your room. Right. We, yeah. The, there were sort of weird apartment buildings that were uh, adjacent to a golf course. I had a single room, but there were two beds. Yes. And you got thrown in my room. Like for a night. I don't think I stayed longer than a night. Mm -mm. Isn't that funny, though? Yeah. I don't, you know, why me? And uh, and I don't remember what you did, you know, to, to receive such punishment. I I don't remember either. I think I was getting phone calls from women or something. I think, and I lied about it. I think that's what it was. I, I, I was considered a very toxic person in that treatment. But you know what? You know, the interesting thing is, you know, like the, I, I don't really understand the idea of the butterfly effect or, or that whole kind of concept, but there is the cosmic ballet at play when whatever I did put me in your room that day and no one knew that 18 years later, 
we would have been making the dopey show for three years and you would have become, you know, an instrumental part of it stepping in after Chris died. And it all happened built on that randomness. Yeah, totally. Um, I would have put money that we would have worked in some creative way uh, in the future. I know that we had, you know, stayed friends after that. We had, you know, touch base periodically, but we were both in and out, you know, for years afterwards. But we would always check in and we would always throw out sort of harebrained concepts for some project or another. And, you know, I think we always really wanted to work together. You Definitely. Know, I, and, and the first the first harebrained concept after I got clean was the 13th step. Oh, no. Before that was the uh, the last resort. No, the last resort what we came up with when we were in treatment. But the first right. harebrained scheme we came up with after I got sober was the 13th step, which there was an ad for that on this episode. Right, right. Which is, yes, in the in the beginning of the show. And I would love to know, Dopey Nation, if you guys listen to the to the pre-roll, as it were, in the business, uh, to the ads uh, before the main title music. All right. So first of all, Dopey Nation, if you listen to the ads, uh, send an email, dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Sam won't even know because he's out. He's out of pocket, out of the picture, but I'll know. So let me know if you're fucking listening to the ads prior to the music. Yeah, um, and and yeah, and not to derail this conversation, but uh, yeah, the ads have been, you know, to sort of break down the process. The, ad, the ads have always been a, a very fun, funny, and um, you know, confounding process in the actual production of each episode every week. What do you mean? What do I mean? Yeah. Oh, doing doing the ads. How you you have you are so insistent, which I respect, on doing fresh ads. Why am but I, I insistent for that? I don't know, but I think if you if you place say your aloe now oro ads side by side, I think they would time out almost the exact same length with very similar, you know, syntax and emphasis, and um, it would be almost the same commercial every week. So you're saying but it's stupid. That you're saying it's stupid that I do it fresh every week. No, it's because I think you value your sponsors, and uh, and which I. I again i have respect for i i do it i'll tell you why i do it i i do value the sponsors but what i really value is like i don't like listening to a show and hearing it the same thing over and over and over again i hate that <laughs> and we well, don't listen to the show this show no but i but i would hate to listen to dopey and hear the same shit every time right right i mean that was actually an issue with me and chris uh leading up to the end of the show or I'm sorry, to the end of his life, where uh, where it was in the last episode, we, we would fight about that opening music all the time and how I wanted to add stuff before the opening music or change the opening music. And he was like, no, it has to be the same at the beginning and the end of every episode. Um, and and, and well, when I think why I think that was is because Chris was actually physically making the show at that point and he wanted to streamline the process. Right. That's interesting. I never even thought about that. I think that yeah. is a big piece of it. And also, though, I think Chris, he had he didn't ever have any professional experience working in production, but he did have a good sense of the way things worked. And in his head, if we did each show exactly the same, it would be it would be the pattern would would comfort the listeners. And I know that was what 
he thought about it. I just always wanted different stuff. And, um, and when Chris and I started making the show, I didn't really know who might want to listen to it that I actually knew, you know, but Mm -hmm. one person that I figured would want to listen to it was you because you were a drug addict and an alcoholic and a producer. So you were somebody that I started sent. You were like, I sent it to, to very few people in the beginning and you were one of the very few people that I sent it to. And I was kind of surprised that you liked it from the beginning. Yeah, no, I remember you sent me, I think the first four shows all at once and they were very short, you know, they were right around 20. I think the first episode was 20 minutes. I think it's minutes. like 24, but yeah. Yeah. They were all very short. So I, so I binged them and, you know, and I, didn't know what the show was and I didn't know what you were trying to do, but it was, it was great hearing your voice. Um, because, uh, certainly of the time that we spent together in Florida, um, we were such good friends. Not only were we scrubby addicts trying to, you know, get through every day in a toxic fucking, uh, rehab environment. Um, but we also worked together for months. Um, but so I, we, you know, we developed a great friendship down there, but it was really great hearing your voice. Uh, I didn't know Chris. I didn't know who Chris was. I, you didn't give me any setup on how you knew him and any of that before I listened to the first four. And, um, you know, and I thought it was really entertaining and it, it sounded like something that you would do. Well, that's why also you were the ultimate person to come in to help me make the show after he died, because I met both of you in the same way which was in treatment, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I don't know, I think that's relevant. I think uh, you understood treatment. Uh, he obviously had been to 16 treatments. But before we get any further into it, just for anybody in the Dopey Nation, you all should know that when Sam told me he had to leave, I had a nervous breakdown and I felt very sad and I knew that I needed to seek professional help. I needed therapy, right, Sam? What did I say? You said, oh, shit, I have to call my therapist. So I recommend and let you guys know that Dopey Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. It's BetterHelp.com slash Dopey Podcast. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. I Zoomed with her, too, just so we're clear. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors like Sam leaving and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. I got amazing advice. See if it's for you. This podcast, again, is sponsored by BetterHelp, and dopey listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash DopeyPodcast. Sam, what do you think about therapy? I, I love therapy. I, I, I think some of my best breakthroughs of my you know personal journey and, and my self-awareness have come from therapy. And I, I, I particularly like group therapy. I, I like it uh, when people are kind but um, insightful and thoughtful. I like that a lot. Um, and I think that that just um, also, you know, um, furthers like the alternative uh, recovery methods that are available to us all. 
Um, you know, if you're not getting what you need out of 12 step, you know, and you, you don't have a friend that you can talk to. I love professional help. I love the idea of it because, you know, they're there for a reason. Right. And, uh, and obviously you've received, you've received tons of professional help along the way. And I want to get into your, uh, you know, anybody who didn't listen to a Sam episode before now, I want you to get into the addiction history. Do you mind? Oh, well, um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm an addict and an alcoholic. Hi, Sam. Hi, everybody. Uh, and I haven't said that because I haven't been to a meeting in years. Um, but I am in recovery and, uh, let's see, I think I was, I, I think I had my first, um, understanding that I was an addict in the crib. You see, no, I just, I hate when people say that they were addict before they developed yes. that they even smoked pot or did anything. What was your thing? Um, you always used to say cracky McCracken. What was the thing? Crack, uh, cracks, cracky McCracken something. I don't remember. I, I don't remember cracking McFuckstick, I right. think. Okay. Or, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I had a very similar experience, like everybody that sort of eases into the, what becomes full blown addiction is smoke pot when I was 12, um, you know, got drunk at 13. I think the first time I did acid, I'm going to breeze through this. Yeah, uh, that's fine. Yeah. It was when I was, uh, 15 summer when I was 15 and I started, uh, I was dating a, or hooking up with a young girl whose mother was dating the Colombian guy who sold Coke. Um, and so we had access to Coke at a very young age. So um, I really loved the cocaine. I don't remember that. You you were dating somebody with a, with a Coke dealer father and you just... So when were you doing so much Coke in the beginning? Like how old were you when, it, when the, the volume of Coke was high? Well, it wasn't really in, in, until college, but I, I had access all through high school because I was um, friends with uh, a girl whose mother was dating a, you know, a Colombian drug dealer. And so there was always cocaine available that she would be, you know, be able to go into the little, you know, sterling silver dish and, you know, take a gram without notice. So, you know, it was it was very recreational at that point. What happened but, to her? Uh, she's around. Um, she's like currently know. selling grams on the corner of Alvarado and La Cienega. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, there probably isn't an intersection of Alvarado and La Cienega. I don't think Alvarado goes that far. No, Alvarado and Sunset, maybe, uh, which is sort of the hood. But um, yeah, so it was it was sort of like that. So a lot of drinking. Um, but I was the sort of the first person in my s group of friends that transitioned to hard alcohol, um, you know, in high school. You know, I just I didn't like drinking beer to get drunk. I really wanted to get drunk. So I found that if I could drink whiskey or vodka or gin or schnapps or, uh, you know, whatever I could really get my hands on, um, I could get drunker faster. And um, so that's where I was at. My, you know, alcoholism, it, you know, was clear um you know while in high school and in fact i th I, I might have told this on dopey and i'm probably going to repeat myself a lot through this uh but my, you know my sisters went to my parents when i was a senior in high school and said we think sam has a problem and my parents wait who a, did my two of my sisters went to my parents and said that we think sam has a problem 
And your dad was in recovery, right? My dad was not in recovery at that time. Okay. And so, yeah, so both my mom and dad, uh, you know, said to them, oh, no, he's just having fun. He's a young kid and it's just a phase. And, um, and I think that that was very aspirational of them to think about it, but, you know, they should have recognized the signs, um, you know, because I'd already crashed a couple of cars at that point through high school, um, and totaled them. And, um, you know, my mom's father died of alcoholism when she was 16. Um, and my dad at that point when my sisters went to them was, you know, a practicing alcoholic and, and prescription pill addict. So it's it, it, interesting that they decided to, you know, sweep it under the rug. But I, that, think I think it's interesting even in itself, the idea of a phase, you know, oh, it's just a phase. And it's like the question is, like as somebody on the other side of a 15 year phase, like how long does a phase go for? Or my, my phase was even longer, but I guess it was a 15 year phase of hard drugs as opposed to just being a stoner or something like it's like, oh, it's just a phase. But how long can can you live with your child in a phase, right? Right. And and hope that they don't die. And, you know, and the fact that I, you know, had some really close calls, you know, crashing the cars that they didn't think that it was, you know, more significant. So, you know, God bless them. Yes. Anyway, so you're you're yeah. you're in college and the Coke starts flowing more. Yeah, I went to uh uh Colorado, uh, University of Colorado at Boulder. And, uh, and I chose that school because it was in the top 10. It was ranked in the top 10 by Playboy as the best party schools. Nice. In the country. And so that's all I wanted to do. It was, I really didn't want to study. I just wanted to go have a good time. I, I was actually in high school. I went to a boarding school and so it was really pretty strict. So I had to, you know, really be sneaky. And, you know, I think I, I, you know, got really good at being sneaky and covert and, um, all that in my drug use and that, you know, that didn't help me. No, that's you know? classic. That's the classic, like hardening the addicts, uh, systems so that when they're off and running, they're already in place. And in boarding school, sure. like every, like there's a population of people who are going to be fucked up addicts and there's money and there's, there's a lot of like room to be clandestine. Right. Uh, well, yeah, you have to be clandestine for sure. Um, but there are a lot of sort of like-minded people, uh, or, you know, young kids, my school was all boys, uh, for the first two years and then it went co-ed my junior year. And, um, so there were, there were a lot of, you know, people I, you know, I grew up, you know, I have to say with, you know, some privilege and I, I didn't know what that meant. And so here I am at this, you know, nice school and, um, you know, I, did not take advantage of the great education that I was being offered. And, um, you know, which is a real shame. Um, you know, I got decent grades and I played sports. Um, I didn't, I went to like the best school in the world and I I learned nothing. I was just going over this with somebody like I can, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's rough to look back and figure out what skills you've, you've come away from your life with after like a top notch education. You know, it's like education is wasted on on the young kind of thing. Yeah, totally. You know, and I think that like the one skill is like how to get away with shit. Right. You know, that, that you know, that's the biggest thing that, and how to manipulate and how to talk my way out of stuff and deny, you know. Yeah. And, all, it's, and, all, and, and, and those all, all those skills are great in producing, you know, getting through <laughs> one thing or another, you know, getting getting shit done 
rationalizing why something is good enough or, or, or procuring whatever shit you need for a show like, like you would for your, for your use. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, those skills, although not my, you know, top skills and not things that I would necessarily, uh, find to be, you know, the top traits in a, in a producer or somebody in a creative field. What would you say are, I, I think, I honestly think that addict skills really align with producing skills. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think, yes, I think naturally you would think that for sure. Why do you say that? Well, I, I mean, I, cause I think that you, you really value your time as an addict. Well, no, I, and, no, I, I, I don't, I don't in any, I mean, like I know for me, my producer skills are very similar to my addict skills, my ability to improvise in a rough situation, my ability to procure what's necessary for the, the day at hand, my ability to work with what I have my ability to, to, to put my cards on the table in either situation. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess it's, it's not necessarily producing as much as it's like life skills, you know, like those are all necessary life skills as well as producing skills, as well as addict skills. Right. Right. No, I, I, I get that. And you know, you know, that does make sense. And I guess, you know, I'm undervaluing my time and the lessons that I learned when I was, you know, uh, in full blown addiction and alcoholism, but, but I think, yeah, I mean, it's similarly, I think that I, I learned how to, you know, identify, you know, people understand people, um, figure out people and people were, you know, a really valuable asset, um, you know, because people provided, you know, people were my conduit to, to drugs you know, when I was looking for them on the street or however, and maintaining those relationships, you know, assuming they didn't get, you know, thrown in jail. Um, what did your full blown addiction look like? My, oof, it was sad, you know, and I, I don't think too dissimilar to, you know, most of our listeners is, you know, really, I, you know, so I, I got sober when I was 20. The first time I got sober, I, I had an intervention and, and went to treatment when I was 29. And in those years in my 20s at post-college, it was um, a lot of cocaine and a lot of alcohol and a lot of, you know, sleepless nights, you know, day, staying up for days on end. Uh, I was incredibly unhealthy. I was really overweight. Um, and all, and, but I was a good worker and I was really well liked and I kept getting promotions, I think because I was skilled at, you know, being a uh, people pleaser and, but also I had a really solid work ethic that was, you know, taught to me by my dad. Was that, was and, that the Hercules and Xena period? No, that was, that was after, no, this is when I was sort of my first jobs in the entertainment business as a, a PA, then, then getting my first jobs into post-production on my way to becoming a post-production producer. When did, um, uh, when did Coke turn into crack? Well, Coke turned into freebasing in that period in the late twenties, uh, in my late twenties. Um, and did you get the ether and all that shit? No, we did it in a total poor man. I can't even tell you the way I had a, a, a college friend that was also in the entertainment business and we had sort of parallel tracks. Um, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't the ether. It wasn't the, the full blown. It was basically just cooking it down with, 
you know, uh, vinegar, I believe, you know, and, um, which was basically you know, and, the precursor for the ready rock. Right. And making, yeah, making powder into smokable rock. Exactly. So, but that didn't last long because I mean, that took me down pretty quick. And so, um, you know, I, I, um, uh, stopped interacting with my family. I really, my only friends were the people that I knew at the bar. So I, I worked at Paramount Studios. There was this little bar. I was just having this conversation the other day with somebody, um, a little bar on Melrose. And then my apartment was right off of uh, Melrose. And so it was like this little triangle. So I walked to work and then I would walk to the bar after work. And then I would, you know, go home and pass out. And I just did this for probably about three years. And it was really sad. I never really, you know, I, I, my dealers were close by, so I never really, you know, left this, you know, like 20 block area of Hollywood, you know, for like three years. And it was really sad and tragic and, you know, lonely, although I thought it was great. So, you know, and, and, and weirdly I kept getting promoted. Why did you think it was great? And why was it tragic? Well, it was great because my career was um, on the rise. Yeah, it was on track and I was, you know, making pretty decent money, you know, all things considered. But then, you know, I would spend it. So, you know, literally I I was broke at the end of every week. So it was paycheck to paycheck. Didn't need to be. So, you know, that was sad. You know, had I had any sort of, you know, financial discipline or, you know, if I just wasn't an addict, I, you know, would have been on my road to you know, an early retirement say now, but, um, but it was just sad. I, you know, I didn't think it was that sad. I say that with reflection just because how, how pathetic and how small my world was. But it hadn't, you know? it didn't hit those bottomy, uh, places yet in that, in that uh, three year stretch you're, cause you're working or, or was it bottomy? Like, did you, it, sh- could no, you show was- up? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was just so exhausted. I mean, just, you know, when you're on a sort of a a real run or just prolonged use, your body is thrashed. Yeah. Yeah. Super fucked, you know, and, you know, I was eating poorly, you know, I, I, if I was eating, but I was still fat, you know, it was weird. I think I was just because I would drink so much and I was always hung over and, you know, I can't then, imagine you fat. Like when I met you, you were like the the picture of physical health. Yeah, well, that was later. That, that was later. So, um, yeah, but I was. And, yeah, there was nothing pretty about my life. There was nothing cute or quaint about it. You know, it was, yeah, I, I think it's, it, you know, I, I don't consider that part of my life special. Or you're unique. I know it's just like so many listeners out there. Um, you know, that just got by, you know, doing drinking and using and functioning, um, you know, but, you know, ultimately it was, um, you know, my family that, you know, helped me intervene. Yeah, they intervened for sure. And, you know, I think I did tell the story before, but, um, when that did happen, when I was 29, um, my sister had come down and we were communicating and she said she really wanted to see me, but I had caught her in a couple lies and so I just knew that I was having an intervention. So the day that I was supposed to come over to my mom's house. No, you just told me that on the phone recently, but I don't remember you saying it on the show. So tell that story uh, real quick. Yeah. So um, my, my 
sister was coming down and I was supposed to come over for uh, a dinner. And um, so, um, but she, she had, I had caught her in, caught her up in a couple lies. And so I just knew that something was up, something was fishy. And so I showed up early. Well, you said, and, I know uh, you're doing an intervention and I'm going to come early, right? Didn't you right. say that? So, so, yeah. So I get to the house and um, my sister opens the door and she said, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here for a couple hours. And I said, well, I, I think you're having an intervention for me and I want to put the kibosh on it. You know, um, I don't want this to happen. And for the record, I think you lied to me. And she started crying and she said, we are having an intervention for you. So, um, <laughs> you're like, so I, I knew it. Yes. So I come in the house and then you're like, I'm going to stay just so I can hear all the good things that you wanted to say about me. Yeah. And then I'm going to split. So no, I was done. I, I really felt like I was done. Like, I don't think I could have gone, you know, another month without like being hospitalized for exhaustion. But hold or, up, hold up. Was the yeah. intervention successful then? It was. So, yeah. So I stayed and then slowly and surely, you know, I had two really good friends that um, were uh, longtime friends um, that showed up. And then my other sister showed up and uh, then the interventionist showed up. And so, like, I was you know, I, I took part in the preparation for my very own intervention. I wanted it. <laughs> I wanted help. But that's like the classic addict who needs to control everything. You managed to control your own intervention. Well, I, I, I guess I did. and But it, it wasn't my intention. I just, I, I mean, I guess I wanted to be part of, you know, what was happening. Um, I tried to, I, I was I was really done. I really wanted to get sober. But um, I needed that push and I needed to feel that love. Um, I'd been trying to um, get sober. I would go um, to AA meetings and then I would go from there to the, to, you know, my neighborhood bar and, you know, get really fucked up. And, you know, I was beginning to hear the message, um, but I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what that looked like. And I know that the, every, uh, everybody that's gotten sober in those early days, you know, wants it, but they don't know how to get it. And so I guess, you know, I, I would like to say that, you know, it's possible to stay with it, keep going, stick with sober people. And, um, how long and, had you, had you, had you gotten, did you, how much time did you acquire post-intervention? Post-intervention? I had six years. So yeah, we so met, we met how much later than that? Six, seven years later? Yeah. So that was no eight, nine years later. Um, uh, so then I had relapsed in, so I took a job. So I was good for six years. My, my career continued to rise. I was sober and I was really enjoying it and I was enjoying the work and I was, um, you know, getting promoted and was that uh, the Hercules and Xena period? That is the, that is that period. Yes. So things were great. Um, I, so I, I took a job in, with this production company and moved to New Zealand for three years. And in the last year, um, I was in a pretty tumultuous relationship and, um, and I was looking at, um, you know, possibly not being with the woman that I, the first love of my life. And it was, uh, you know, uh, it was very fiery relationship, uh, as I look back on it now. And, um, and I couldn't take the, I, I couldn't deal with my emotions. So I, you know, looked at alcohol to, um, do you remember that? Like you have six years. What was the first drink after six years? Like 
the first drink was a glass of wine at a dinner party where um, like when I first moved down there, I was sort of I was young and, um, you know, and I was totally like, you know, brought into these the this Kiwi group of cool kids. And um, but they rapidly found out that I, you know, didn't drink or smoke weed or do anything like that. And they thought I was a real pariah. You know, or at least that's how I sensed it. And I stopped getting invited to parties because I think I was just a buzzkill. And I, and that didn't feel good. And so I was at this one dinner party and, and I just, you know, I, I instead of putting my hand over the glass of wine, I let him pour it and then I drank it and um, had another one and then left and went to the liquor store. And um, it was pretty on from there. Do you um, remember that? Do you remember like... You hadn't had a drink in six years, which is a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of maintaining. Then you're like, fuck it. I'm just going to have a glass of wine at the party. Do you remember yeah. going to the liquor store that day? Yeah, that night. Yeah, I do. Because I wanted more. You know, I, I wanted more. I wasn't drunk, but I had that taste. And I just, you know, it was a real fuck it moment. Right. You know, I... I you know, I technically it was a relapse. I probably, you know, had I come out the other side of that night and just said, oh, boy, that was a mistake. I guess I start have to, you know, start my new uh, new sobriety date, you know, but I wasn't working a program. I wasn't going to meetings. Um, I think I think those moments. Right. It's like it's funny now on, on the other side of like sobriety, like I have a little bit of time now and it would be crazy <laughs> to go out and say, fuck it and do that. And, and I think anybody like, but when you're on the other side of it and you're using all the time, like I, all I had was fuck it moments. All I had were like, how can I extend my using period moments and, and like kind of staying true to the addict within, as opposed to staying true to the sober person. And it's like, I don't know, like, I think looking back on it, it's fascinating, like to recall those moments, you know, when you're on the other side of it. Yeah, it is, you know, and I've had, you know, multiple uh, yeah. and relapses since, and th there's really no accounting for it. Um, uh, you know, I, I can't, you know, because they came in moments of like real happiness and like real, like celebration, uh, celebration. Yeah. You know, as, as well as like despair and, and sadness and loneliness, boredom, too. all those things. Yeah, all those things. Yeah, I mean, I so I guess it's you, you know you just gotta you gotta watch out. You gotta watch out. You know, you gotta identify your feelings. You gotta stay connected. Um, uh, all that. That's my that's my plug for sobriety. When you stay when you when you look back on the whole thing, because obviously, like that was, I mean, I think that's a really relevant story because it's like six years in, which is a really big chunk of time, which is how much time I have right now. And, mm -hmm. and like, and, and the bottom rushing up at you out of nowhere, right? How bad did it get then? I, I, I I'd like to hear this whole story. Yeah, it, it got pretty bad. It was this, so in New Zealand. So after that, yeah. So I didn't drink every day, um, for a while. And then, um, I, I found out that a guy that I'd worked with. Were was, you, wait, hold up. Were you doing Coke in New Zealand or drugs of any no, kind? No. You were scared no, of the drugs because it would have been too much trouble. No, no, I'm going to get into the drugs down there. So uh, there is no Coke. There's very little Coke in New Zealand or was very little. I don't know what it's like now. But this was in uh, right around the year 2000 when I was there. And um, but speed is prevalent. 
And um, so uh, it turns out that a guy that I was working with was doing speed on the sly. I caught him and uh, he said he was super embarrassed and he said, do you want some? And I said, yes, um, because I had been drinking. I'd already had that relapse. Um, I was still drinking intermittently, but not alcoholically. Um, but that was what set it off is that I became addicted to speed. I was doing speed every day, probably for the last six months that I was there. What kind uh, of speed was it? Just like amphetamines? Yeah, it was powder, um, speed. So black we beauties, would, red devils, they black, they weren't pills that we would crush. It was just, it was, I don't know what it was. Right. It was, you know, it, and it was, uh, you know, there was, there are these sort of Maori, you know, uh, islanders that live there. The the you know the local folk um, that were you know sort of motorcycle in motorcycle gangs, and they were were the purveyors of you know speed. Um, you know, probably like the exactly like the Hell's Angels were back in the you know seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, so I loved that. I loved the uppers, and and because there was no coke, that was the you know, was the substitute. And I, I would drink more because I would get so high. And, um, you know, I was still functioning, um, you know, as it's still performing in my job. Um, I think, but probably not, you know, probably not, <laughs> probably, probably not. That's a, a real good self-deception. Um, and then, um, I, I, the, my girlfriend at the time, um, said, I can't be with you like this. You need to go to treatment. So my, the show had ended, but I still had six months on my visa. So I checked myself into a little treatment center, um, there for 21 days and sort of dried up and, um, and that helped. And then I, my girlfriend, I was satisfied. And then, so we actually went and traveled, um, the world for six months and, uh, um, you were sober she, for that around the world jaunt. I was, I was, and then she, um, her, she came back to the states with me. Her visa expired, and then the day that I, I dropped her off at the airport, and um, I, I went to the liquor store on the way home, and that led to fourteen, about fourteen months of um, crazy coke that turned into you know my crack addiction um in that stint and spent every penny that i had and had to go move into my mom's house and she was gracious gracious enough to take me and uh but then she was also horrified to see what i turned into and then that led to a second intervention and um that took me to first uh treatment in arizona and then what we thought was continuing care, um, but it was also full-blown treatment at Renaissance where I met you in 2003. And those were the days, huh? Which days? Renaissance. Renaissance, yes. When, yeah. when, when you think of Renaissance, what pops into your head first? Uh, uh, resentment. Right. Uh, you, hated, you hated Renaissance more than anything. You hated uh, yeah. you hated Renaissance like the Jews hated the Nazis. I, I did. Well, I felt like I was being, you know, oppressed, uh, and you, you know, uh, I, I was being psychologically tortured. 
I felt because that was the, the, you know, I mean, we've talked about it before. I can't remember what the term is, you know, aggression therapy is, you know, my counselor who, uh, you know, was a real fuckhead, um, would, you know, try to, I mean, he even told me, he's like, I'm going to try to create, you know, these artificial bottoms for you to fuck you up so that you're going to have to deal with this because I don't think you're done yet. And, and who is he to say that? Well, even, even beyond that, like, like even just going over it in my head, like they traumatized me, like they went after me. Like I've never, no one's ever gone after me in my life the way those people went after me. And all I wanted to do was, was get high, which I did and, and flee which I did. There was no way I was going to rebuild myself in that situation. Like, how could you possibly rebuild yourself in that situation? All you can do is, is run away. You know, I guess, I guess they try to limit your ability to leave. That's like their big move. Well, they wanted you to stay in South Florida and, and, and build your new life there. So you could be, you know, so to introduce you to, you know, that sober community. And I, did not care for it. I didn't, I I wanted nothing to do with it, but I was fucked because I was broke and I had to, you know, uh, save money and, you know, uh, do my best to get myself back to the West coast because I felt like every day that was, um, passing by. So was my, my career was ending, you know, cause I was on a pretty, you know, tidy upward trajectory. Right. Well, that was, but that's, that was real. You know, I mean, I had, I had a very similar thing happen. Like if you want to talk about career, I don't think, you know, I don't think my, I lost my career to Renaissance in a way. Um, yeah. But I also lost my career <laughs> in, a, in a more clearer way. I lost my career to addiction. Um, yeah. But, uh, but Renaissance man, like, holy cow, like the, the shit that they did. I mean, they put me in the circle with all, do you remember, were you in the room where they put me in the circle with my shit? Like they put me yeah, in the same. That was our large, that was the large group. Yeah. Yeah. They, they put me in there with my guitar case and my stuff and they pointed at me and they said, this is the most toxic member of the community at me. Right. And I think I loved it too. I relished the attention at the same time. Of course you did. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, I identified with you. I mean, I, we had already been friends. We had already had that night in the, you know, in the, in the room and, but, um, yeah, we had already become friends and I'm like, fuck these people. And I think I remember it was, I don't remember if it was that day, but like you were told to walk home, you were like kicked out of the groups and you were told to walk all the way home <laughs> yeah. back to the, to the residence. And, <laughs> yeah. like, and somebody asked, does, does anybody want to go with them? And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, I do. I want to get out of this scene and then walk along the train tracks and, you know, pick up garbage and, you know. And, but they, you know. did they let you walk with me? I don't think they did. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, we walked home. Yeah, and found a shopping cart and we brought a bunch of shit that I was going to make art out of. Um, yeah, I don't know if you. Yeah. I, I remember. I remember very little. Um, yeah. But like one thing that we had always talked about, like in, in your in your few dopey appearances, we never talked about uh, shopping in Florida. And I always wanted to get that story on the show. So why don't you recap how we got our shit in Florida? Yeah. So uh, we were we had an allowance that came with the, you know, the price of admission. Um, so we had sixty five dollars a week to shop. 
So that was for everything. And, Cigarettes, uh, coffee, food, toiletries. Yeah, so, yeah, so I would buy a car right off the top. I would buy a carton of cigarettes. At that point, I think they were thirty bucks, or thirty-five bucks uh, in Florida. And I would too. In, in two thousand three, yeah. So that gave us thirty. Let's say thirty bucks for food, and you know, and coffee. So coffee had to be included in that. Whatever proteins, vegetables, you know, frozen foods, whatever desserts. And, 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 and that was actually a pretty good experience. So I think everybody should have a sort of a, you know, home act, you know, crash course on, uh, you know, budgeting. Um, and so, but anyway, I'm, we made it work. But um, the funniest thing is that, I, you know, you, you, I think, only had one pair of pants and they were cargo pants. No, those are my cargo and, shorts. They're cargo shorts. Uh, yeah. And, um, and I would see your, your, pockets both pockets both of those cargo pockets were fulfilled but i didn't really put it together until we got back to the residence and um i you know finish putting the groceries away go over to your little pad and you're like would you like some starbucks and i'm like how the fuck can you afford starbucks on you know 30 bucks a week and you had like two pounds of it and it turns out that you would put a, like a pound of, you know, nice Starbucks gourmet coffee in, you know, each pocket and you were flush with, you know, fancy coffee because you'd shoplifted. Wow. I, I, I stole as I shopped every time. And my favorite bit was wandering around the supermarket and it was like a hundred of us. Like how many people do you think went shopping at once? Like 15 of us? 15, yeah, well, there would be one van, so either 12 to 15. Right, yeah. so there'd be 15 of us in the supermarket, and I'd be pushing the cart around, and whenever I ran into anyone from treatment, I would be like, Sean, I haven't seen you in years. You look amazing. And it was like my favorite bit to do to anybody I saw in the supermarket from treatment. <laughs> and I was like, I was 27, and just like I couldn't, I couldn't have been more immature stealing acting out in the supermarket i never got caught stealing in there either it never no it was remarkable and i think that that's where i developed my fondness because uh cafe bustello was the cheapest coffee on the shelf and and that's where i uh developed my love for mexican peasant coffee well it's a good coffee still, it's, it's still, definitely bang for the buck yeah i still drink it to this day yeah so, so yeah and 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 we went i wound up relapsing on weed in Delray, in a, in a classic relapse scenario, as you'd like to say, I got ratted out by one of my housemates, and then I knew it was time for me to go, leaving you stranded in Delray. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you I relapsed, had... though. You relapsed when we were there, too. I, I, I did. So I got there on March 23rd, and my relapse, uh, I relapsed on the 4th of July, and it was sort of this crazy scene. And, um, yeah, I got, I was in a halfway or sober men's sober living environment at the time. And my, my manager was super cool, but he said, look, you've got to go to detox for two nights and then you can come back. And so I did, I went to the place called DAF, which is Chris Everts, um, drug and alcohol foundation. Her brother, um, had overdosed and died. So she developed this foundation. So I went to this um, crazy detox uh, for a couple nights, and then I was allowed back into my... Well, that so relapse was horrible. I remember, because it was the 4th of July, and like we were all by the beach, and, and you were on your bike. 
and yeah. uh, and you showed up drunk as shit, screaming and crazy. And I remember it was very dramatic. Like I was trying to get you away from like, because there were staff people there too. And I was yeah, trying to get you away from like the scene so nobody would know, but you were right. too crazed. I was, yeah. And then I got back in the, to the sober house and there was, you know, there were, uh, you showed up with a carload of people that were like, you know, trying to save me, but it was already too late. So, you know, um, it was just something that I had to get out of my system. You know, I, I hated it down there. So I said, fuck it. And, you know, there were plans for a group of us to be on the beach and watch the fireworks. And it was really nice. Um, you know, but I drank a fifth of gin after yeah. having not, you know, had a drop for months and got super fucked up and surprised I didn't crash on the bike and, you know, destroy myself. Um, but anyway, you know, all part of it. And, and then that uh, was, that were, that was 18 years ago. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and how many times did you cultivate, you cultivated another six years once or twice in there? I, I, after that, yeah, after that I did. So after Florida, I, I, I'd taken a job as a cook in a hotel, um, that I was given an opportunity in Florida. Then I was given an opportunity to go up to Maine to their sister restaurant or hotel. And so I worked in the kitchen there for, uh, five months and then relapsed up there, had a shouting match with the chef and ended up leaving. But at that point I'd sort of saved enough money. So I was able to like shit my shit and, um, get a plane ticket back to LA. Uh, where I thought I could move in with my mom again until I got on my feet. And she said, no, don't you remember the boundaries that we'd set? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I do, but I'd forgotten. Don't you remember that nice man at Renaissance who told me never to let you come home again? <laughs> right. And so uh, anyway, I moved up to San Francisco and lived with a friend and got a job and had to, and then basically got, I relapsed up there actually a few times. Um, uh but still managed to get a job craziest fucking story is I was relapsing and I, uh, um, uh, went in for a job interview at an animation studio. And I, my, in my interview, I was blacked out and I came to halfway through it and they thought I was hysterical. They thought I had so many great ideas to like propel these, you know, this, uh, startup animation studio to like the next level. And they hired me yeah, uh, unbelievable. And, uh, so I worked there and, um, continued to relapse, but then, uh, I got, was asked to leave my friend's house and I moved into a sober house, um, for six months. And it was the best thing that I did. I, I didn't know to, need to go to treatment again. I just needed to be accountable. And this place was pretty strict and a bunch of good guys. And, um, yeah. And so that really, really worked for me. And I did, I went to the, I went to a meeting every day for those six months that I lived there. Um, and you liked it at first, didn't you? I, I, I did. I did. I, I had a good crew and there were some really good meetings up there. Um, what about with, drugs? Did drugs ever creep back in? They didn't, they, they didn't since, uh, um, you know, my, my time in, uh, Florida was your last crack. I remember that story. Yeah, Christmas Eve in Florida. So that was the last time that I did cocaine or crack. Yeah. So you're saying you haven't done any mind or mood altering substance besides alcohol since Florida? Uh, I have smoked weed. I yeah, weed was part of uh, a couple of the relapses. 
uh, since Florida. Did you smoke yeah. weed with me in Florida at all? I did not. Oh, no, I think I did. We worked for that uh, horrible interior design company. Uh, that was part of what I was talking about earlier about working together. Um, and we would have to go take uh, drive up uh, I-95 to Orlando. And uh, you had brought weed. Yeah. And, and, and I smoked with you in the hotel room. And then we went and played tennis. You should tell hard. you should tell the dopey nation of my incredible strength moving furniture. My freakish strength. Freakish. Dave has a huge wingspan and he's like sneaky strong. And uh yeah, so we could we would lift armoires and giant disgusting like sectionals. King, <laughs> sectionals and king size bed frames, like, you know, through tight hallways and uh and always managed to thrash the houses that that gave me great satisfaction i I know that's horrible to say but i hated these people i hated i hated the people we worked for and i hated the clients that we were delivering shit to the resentments ran deep but i remember we would we would move shit into the house and we would literally fuck up every doorway and it would be like whoops and and i was thinking to myself this can't be the way you're supposed to deliver furniture if someone delivered furniture to my house like that now i'd freak out Oh yeah, dinging every wall and door frame and uh, yeah, yeah, we sucked. So, so in in your and since you've been back in California, you smoked weed a few times, but you were just like, this isn't for me. Like, why didn't that stick? Yeah, weed weed really stopped working when I was in my last crack run. You know, I it just I, I the only thing that worked to get me down was alcohol, and weed didn't really have any effect other than just sort of make me a little foggy. And I was foggy to begin with because I, I was up for days on end. So it just it had very little effect and um, I, it just lost its luster. Right. I don't get I mean, I started my drugging with weed and I smoked it every day for years, you know, from morning till night. And uh, and I loved it, you know, and I still love the idea of it. I, but, you know, I'm like you. It's like, you know, maybe someday when we're sitting on the front porch, you know talk telling tales you know maybe we can puff a joint when we're 75 you know and there's nothing to lose right but listening to the almond brothers perhaps but there's everything to lose right so when you were in in california and i mean you started rebuilding a career then you built up a whole advertising company production company producing things uh and that was like the kind of second half of your of the the second half beginning of your production career um, how much did alcohol fuck that up? Uh, it, it hasn't really, and it, it didn't. So, um, yeah, just going back to that, uh, you know, I had to, you know, I was so paranoid that I was going to lose my, my trajectory in the entertainment business with all my contacts. And sure enough, I did, um, you know, my reputation was dinged for sure. So, you know, I moved to San Francisco and reinvented myself. I still had those credits and I was able to, yeah, to rebuild and restart and, and, you know, do a lateral move. But, um, uh, alcohol didn't and hasn't fucked that up. I think I've been smart enough, uh, to compartmentalize uh, your alcoholism yeah, to relapse in between gigs. Right. You know, maybe that's all part of it. Maybe that's all part of the alcoholic mind the genius of the alcoholic mind is like i can get away with it if i relapse for 10 days now i can it will take me two weeks to fully you know bounce back and then that's when i'm back into pre-production on whatever the next gig might be 
Right. Maybe. And I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people in in the field did that until you can't do it anymore. And then like it was in and out, in and out, in and out until dopey, right? Yeah, it was 2013 was was so I had six I I had mass six years. Again. Again. So twice I have six years. Yeah. And then in 2013 I uh I met a girl and I traveled to, uh, she was actually an old high school uh uh, sweetheart, friend. not a sweetheart. sweetheart. She, was a she was a little younger, but we reconnected and I went and visited her in Florida where she lived. And, uh, I relapsed down there and, um, and that sort of, you know, ended the run. And I didn't, I, I wasn't keeping date track of days or years or anything at that point. And so it was really like clockwork from 2013 to 2018, almost every six months. I think you were apprised of most of those relapses or some of them, the majority of them, um, that I would, yeah, it would be like a 10 day, anywhere from five to 10 day binge. Um, and then, you know, I would just hurt so much at the end of it that, uh, you know, I would, I would stop. Um, I wasn't, to- I wasn't really apprised of it because we weren't talking that much. I only became apprised of it after Chris died and you were interested in helping with the show and you had one of them. And I was so like distraught over it. Yeah. Well, well, that's interesting that you say that. So, yeah, I, I, I kind of want to set the record straight uh, on that is that I you had reached out to me um, right. after Chris. Right. No, yeah. I, I, I was struggling with the show uh, yeah. big time. Like Chris died and I didn't even know if I could do the show. Um, right. and, and I was and I was terrified and I was very glad that over the years we had I would reach out to you and ask you what you thought about an episode or a, a string of episodes. And I always loved the way you would talk about it. So when Chris died, you and I had an extended conversation about, you know, about Chris's death and how I felt and this and that. But then I was also very much like, I think I'm in trouble. And can you start listening to the shows? Cause I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Right. And I had been listening, you know, so I was a fan. Um, and I was listening to it critically. I was, I was listening to it with a different, sort of set of ears, you know, producer's ears, but not giving you that much feedback. But yeah, when Chris died, after he died, you did reach out and say, you know, I, 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 I want to keep doing the show, but I don't know how, can you help me? So I just, I, I do want to make that clear to the Dopey Nation that I didn't, I didn't horn in. I didn't. No, not, no, you were in, in, an incredible resource at a time where I was fucked. You right. Know, absolutely. But I, just, I have this I have this weird feeling that I just feel like I need to, you know, get it off my chest is that like I didn't I didn't feel like I want I, I wasn't horning in. I was. But whoever was, thought you were horning in? Oh, I don't know. No. I, I just, how could I, how could you possibly be horning in unless you were like dealing fentanyl in Boston in 20, well, I, the summer? I, of, what? Yeah. I had this weird feeling uh, that. You know, I was being, oppor- you know, that I might be perceived as opportunistic in, no, you know. It's impossible. So, that's a, that's a classic negative talk. You know, Gabor Mate, the stupid friend. It's not, right. it's not relevant. It's not possible. What you were was a good friend to me and of assistance to me in a time that I really needed it. And then like, and tell me if I'm overstepping, but I think that's when Dopey was actually helpful for you also. You, no, you're not overstepping for sure. I mean, obviously, I've just said like I stopped going to meetings. Meetings. 
Tell the Dopey Nation how much you hated meetings. Yeah, I just would walk away feeling worse. I didn't have, I never, I just, my ears, I guess I had the cotton in my ears because I wasn't hearing anything that I wanted to hear. And I just was, I would walk out feeling worse than I did when I went into the meeting. And I just, I felt like I wasn't connecting with any of the groups that I was going to. Um, and, uh, so I stopped going and, and, you know, you could set, you know, set your calendar to the times that I've relapsed. But when I did start working on the show with you after Chris died, uh, it filled a hole that I didn't know I needed filled. Would you think Um, it was a God sized hole? It was, yeah, well, it's more like pizza anyway, or quart of ice cream. But, um, yeah, it, it 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 helped me with what I didn't know that I needed help with, it, which was the connection to uh, a, a community. And you know, I've never been a joiner, and I think that that you know, I I always wore that as a badge of pride that like I don't need to join anything because I'm so independent. Um, Such an individual. Yeah, but it's so stupid because, you know, what I've all the lessons that I've learned through my time working on Dopey is that it is true that connection is the is the opposite of addiction. So, um, yeah, my time working on the show has always has really, really kept it green and fresh and made me realize that um, there's a gazillion people that are out there with that share a very similar story and that are a lot like me. And that that helps that, you know, makes me feel less alone in this world. Well, the the, the next thing is like, I, I mean, Chris and I made the show in a way that was it was very easy for me. I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was jump on. I mean, Chris would usually drive to Manhattan and we would bust out the, the equipment and we would and I would have like a shitty piece of paper with a bunch of shit written on it. And so would he. And we would do, you know, between 45 minutes and an hour and five minutes. And I was done. And we would mm-hmm. do and we would do like two or three in a sitting at that point. I mean, in the beginning, we would do four in the beginning. But then later, as the shows got longer, we would do two or three. And then we would Skype one and then he'd come back. And it was a very easy process. So when after he died and I had to tick up the technical aspects and then and there was no co-host, you know, like we had to re rejigger the show you know and uh and you know you were a huge part of that you know like i i you and i figured out what dopey would be and how could we keep it interesting and how could we preserve the vibe and all that stuff yeah i mean i think the thing that we realized is that it couldn't be the same show um there was no replacing chris and um with any kind of co-host i mean i think that we had entertained the thought but they're just we suddenly realized or soon realized that that Chris was so awesome and special and um, was your perfect partner um, that you just you, there was no point in even trying. Well, it was, um, it was like Starcross because it was like not it was it was his show. So he wanted to do it. He would he would drive to do it. He didn't have you know, he, he made it work for himself. Plus he was the worst addict in the world who knew more about addiction and recovery than most anybody. So he was the ideal partner for the show. And then we kind of redesigned the show, like dealing with the handicap and like, what do we do from there? Right. So now we're like three, three years and change later. And we're looking back at a, at a, I mean, like I, 
you know, if it was up to me, you wouldn't take an extended hiatus and we would just keep going because I like uh, the workflow. Um, it works for, for me, but obviously right. that doesn't mean it works for you. When you look back on the past three and a half years, can you recall any of your favorite parts or like what, what pops into your head first? Well, I, I, I think that the thing that pops into my head first is, um, you being approached by this American life and, you know, the, this American life, uh, Effect. what do they call it? The This yeah, American the, the, Life effect. Right, which, which was true, which, which I think we're still, you know, receiving some of the effects of it. You know what, uh, though, Sam? I remember pre This American Life, and I'm like, how do I get the show bigger? How do we get the show bigger? What do we do? Blah, blah, blah. And I remember when I, I sent the email to This American Life, and that's also when I kind of reached out to Emily Sullivan and Vice, and we started our Vice Wars and all that stuff. And This <laughs> right. American Life hadn't even done the piece when we were doing the Vice Wars. The Vice right. Wars was, was all this Ameri pre This American Life. And, um, and I remember we would have extended conversations about like, what the fuck could we do? And when This American Life came out, and it was February of 2019, um, the show changed. You know, the, the, the audience grew, you know, by, you know, tripled. Right. Do you miss the Vice Wars, Sam? Yeah, I loved the Vice beef. Uh, you know, I, 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 I love, there's nothing more uh, satisfying than, than really stringing along like a fake beef. Uh, I, I look at the dopey nation. I love the beefs, the fake beefs that, um, you know, uh, everybody has, uh, going on in there. Well, the and beef, it, the beef with the vice beef was real beef. And, and if anyone wants to remember what that was vice, me and Chris have been pitching vice for years, uh, to have them do dopey with us as a TV show. And, they like got back to Chris. I think they said, we're not interested. And then I wrote them and they said, they said something along the same lines. And then right after that, they came out with a show called dope sick nation. And Sam was a hundred percent for sure that they had just stolen it. Right. That they had ripped off the, the, the dopey nation and just, you know, bastardized it and called it dope sick nation. Which is, I mean, it's a fine title for a for a you know fake reality show. I mean, I think I had beef with that show because one, it was set in South Florida, and you know, I for my money, sorry Scott Wick, but that place should just be scorched. Wow, you know? wow. <laughs> in the in the recovery community. Okay, keep going. Uh, you know, because I think I've said it before. If you send your child down to South Florida for recovery, you will get them back in a body bag, or I mean, or was, just deranged or high, right? Or traumatized, like I think you did, both you and I were from our experience down there. But anyway, I, I mean, I think that that beef was. I, I was convinced that they had done that, but there was no way to prove it, and there was no real, um, there was no real meat behind the beef. So to speak, B Gats you know? hated that I B Gats, who's a dopey super fan, would write me and saying that we had to stop the Vice beef. <laughs> but but it became it became for us internally, it became you know humorous to us to prolong it in in the way that it did. Well, I like beef too. I like and like let's look back at some famous dopey beef. Sam is like the 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 most favorite of dopey beefs, and whenever dopey got stale, Sam would. <laughs> 
look for a place to to put some dopey beef in there. The the yeah. first one that I can remember is when Sam decided to invent a lawyer named Eugene Myerson to fight this beef with Vice. So Sam, I'm going to play this old clip from 2018. You ready? Ready. Hello. I'm Eugene Myerson with the law offices of Myerson, Myerson, Kaufman, and Schwartz. Do you suffer from both night and day sweats? Are your veins collapsed? Are your pupils smaller than a grain of sand? Is your dealer your only friend? Then chances are you're a junkie, and therefore you must share our outrage at the very disturbing revelation of a new television series called Dope Sick Nation, airing only on the Viceland channel, Wednesdays at 10 p.m. On behalf of Dopey, we are reaching out to all members of the Dopey Nation and are mounting a case seeking compensatory damages for the reprehensible malfeasant actions perpetrated by the show's distributor, Viceland, and its nefarious parent company, the all-powerful megacorporation, Vice. We contend that they did knowingly and willfully plagiarize the intellectual property and various elements of shtick created and performed by Dave and Chris. May he rest in peace. Now is the time to take action. We must resist. Will you stand with us? Or will you nod off? Over there. In a corner. Sad and lonely. Call us today at 1-800-444-KVETCH. That's 1-800-444-KVETCH. We are Myerson, Myerson, Kaufman, and Schwartz. Classic Eugene Myerson. Are you there? Yeah. I don't know if anybody um, ever really heard that because uh, going back to what we were talking about early, like that was buried in the beginning of a show. But I think back then we didn't have ads. Yeah. I think that was probably. pre, that was pre Alo Oro. Alo Oro right. came in after uh, This American Life. Right, um, right. And so I, that was in my yeah, recollection, was the phone number was 444-4444. No, it was 444 1-800-444-KVETCH. I would have loved it to be. And then I think we should have changed it to 1-800-444-KVETCH or 1-800-444-4444. Like, because obviously 4444 isn't K-V-E-T-C-H. But, and that's too many letters anyway. But that was a classic, a classic one. And it makes me think of Dopey Beefs. And, uh, and the only Dopey Beefs that I can think of were the original... Omar Pinto dopey beef with Chris. May he rest in peace. The sober Modi. guy beef with Chris. May he rest in peace. The vice beef. Then all I can think of is the Cat Marnell beef, which was a one-sided Cat Marnell against us. What else was there? Well, there was the Modi beef that you ah. had a nice. Yeah, you let that lit, uh, breathe well. Yes. With Chris. Yeah. Yeah, the Modi beef. And, and Dopey Nation, I actually contacted Modi to come back on the show, and he declined. Fucking Modi. Fucking Modi. Any other beefs yeah. you can think of? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that those were the those were the highlights. Well, um, the Cat Marnell show was a, a pivotal show in your career on Dopey, wouldn't you say, Sam? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I think just mostly because of the aftermath. Oh, um, dude! No, 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 no. Before we get to Cat Marnell, was uh, was. Was Andy Dick pre-Cat Marnell? He was, right? You always loved the episodes with a, with a, a dopey anti-hero, like a Cat Marnell or an Andy Dick. 
Yeah, I totally root for the anti-hero. You know, I think that's why I love the show Succession so much. Right, because there's well, there's no one on Succession you can root for, and Dopey usually it's a good time person you can get behind, but uh, with Andy Dick and Cat Marnell, the Dopey Nation turned on both of them. For sure, you know that Andy Dick uh, episode. I, you know, I, I think when I on first listen, you know, my feedback to you was, you know, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? He's definitely drunk. Uh, he has no business being on the show. But I listened to it again, and. I fucking loved it. Why did you love I, it so much? I, I, I just think because he is such a character. I mean, he, he really is, you know, I mean, he is, you know, he suffers from whatever he suffers from. And, um, you know, hearing he was at a museum with his girlfriend and, um, and he kept talking know, about how hot his girlfriend was. Yeah. And he could have really given a shit, you know, <clears throat> but, but I think he gave us some decent stories in there um you know and i just I, I think what i also like about dopey in general is are the the dumb shit and the shenanigans that you know happen when people are using and and not using and in recovery but it, i like i like the dumb shit component of dopey as much as i like the drugs and addiction what are some of your favorite dr dumb shit components in general uh, well, I like a lot of your stories. I, you know, I, I think that you put yourself in situations, um, you know, especially in recovery. You know, I, I think that, you know, working with you and when you do solo monologues, you know, I, I, I find your stories very funny because I think everybody can relate to them. Like, you know, borrowing the neighbor's power tools and completely fucking them up. And, you know, you know I didn't tell you this. Uh, the neighbor who loaned me the rototiller uh, moved. He like redid his house and he he moved to Savannah, Georgia. Uh -huh. And he sold all of his shit. All of his shit was on his front yard. We, we probably bought five statues of the Buddha from him. Um, uh -huh. and he was selling the rototiller with the 40 foot extension cord and I, and I didn't buy it. I missed buying it. Like I was like, uh, I'll buy it in a minute. And I went home and when I got back, it had been sold. Uh, yeah. I mean, cause I, I mean, I really loved hearing your stories, you know, about how psyched you were to garden and all that stuff. And, you know, it was such sort of good, sober storytelling, you know, about what it's like now, which is the complete opposite. Cause you were not gardening in your house in manhattan your apartment you know when you were covered in blood and right right you know fall your loft bed right right that's for sure and i barely garden last year either because the the demands of the dopey show and family and work became too crazy right um and cat marnell always had a special place in your heart i had no idea who cat marnell was before you know i started working with you on the show and um, you know, I quickly developed a crush on her, um, and her book was phenomenal. Um, you know, and she's way smarter than she seems. I think her act is, um, you know, pretty solid. Um, you know, because I, I, you know, I don't know whether she's straight crazy or whether that's an act, but I think she's certainly smarter than she, uh, you know, wants to let on. And, um, yeah, I just I became a fan. I thought that interview that you did with her, I thought was great. There was there was nothing in that interview that would have led me or I think the Dopey Nation uh, to believe that she would have turned on us like she did. 
Wow. It was monumental. Like she did the interview. I, I didn't expect the dopey nation to hate her as much as they did. Like, I just figured it was like, it was like she, she wrote an amazing book. Like for my money, one of my favorite drug memoirs I ever read. She had mm -hmm. a unique and, and brilliantly funny voice that like, I couldn't have been more of a fan of, of this woman. And she gave me shit during the interview, but the interview still landed. And then the dopey nation hated her. And I think the reason that the dopey nation hated her so much was because she wasn't a cookie cutter, uh, sobriety finder. You know what I mean? And she didn't really want to tell her story in the way that so many people have made it their business to tell their story of recovery and redemption. Right. I, and I think we also sort of connected the dots that she was still she had claimed that she was off Adderall, but she, you know, told you in the interview that she was still on it. And, you know, the, the, the pieces weren't adding up. And so I think it's a lack of transparency and the and the, you know, the genuine, uh, you know, desire to be sober or claim that you're in recovery. You know, I, I felt it was interesting. I, you know, interestingly enough, it was as I just to hear myself talking is I think that that could have been something that led to the alt recovery movement. Okay. What do you mean? Well, I, I, I mean, I think that, you know, she, she had claimed that she was, you know, being prescribed this. I think most people, you know, that are on Adderall. And I don't think it. she was, I think she was on Vivance when she came on the show, but continue. Maybe that's right. But, um, but I think that that led to a discussion within the dopey nation about, you know, you didn't know what met. I, I remember that you weren't a huge fan of medically assisted treatment um, in the early days with Chris. You didn't really know what it was and you didn't understand it. No, it uh, wasn't that. What it was, was I had been on so many different medical assisted treatment programs and I had abused all of them and I mm -hmm. had never used a medically assisted treatment style to success. Not even close. Yeah, as prescribed, right? Right. Yeah. Never even close. Like I would get, I would get, I was on methadone and I would cop dope to get before the methadone and I'd cop dope after the methadone, I'd get pills at the clinic. And, and then when I would be on Suboxone, I did the same shit and I would just get the Suboxone and, and get a prescription for it, get the pills and then get drugs and just keep the Suboxone just in case I couldn't get drugs, you know? Right. So like I, I couldn't, you know, I was, I, I just thought it was bullshit. I thought everybody used it the way that I did. And, and to be totally transparent, you know, Chris was very much the good guy on the show. Um, mm -hmm. and, and he was very like, you know, super lovable and smart. And he, I think had a better understanding of how medically assisted treatment worked than I did. Um, so he was always like emphasizing the positive value of it. And I was just like, you're full of shit, blah, 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 blah. And then it after, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't work. I've tried it. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. It didn't work for me. And how could it work for anybody? But then to be honest, was that after he died, I felt like the show would be in trouble if we didn't if we weren't positive about medically assisted treatment, because the stats were so in that medically assisted treatment worked. And then I also had that. Do you remember the guy who came on the show? My a guy who went to my high school, Jesse, he worked at a, a methadone clinic and he started giving yeah. me some information and and I heard from so many people in the dopey nation who actually had used Suboxone uh, successfully or were still using it successfully. And I mm -hmm. I I turned around because I kind of had to, 
and because I had more exposure to other people's successes. So how did the Cat Marnell thing, like, it, you know, kick off uh, the uh, the old alternate? What do we? I can't even. Believe, I can't even say the words. Alternative, alternative recovery what movement. Yes, that your dad has uh, multiple patents on. No, those have, um, those are up. It's over. Those fired. Okay, good. All right. Um, well, I don't know. I just I think it led to a broader discussion within the Dopey Nation who. Um, like are really enlightened people I, I have found over the years. I think that their discussions are sometimes heated, but I think, you know, um, the, the, they're all very smart. The discussions around, um, you know, Adderall and or Suboxone and or Methadone and the importance that it, they have in one's recovery journey. You know, I mean, we, we threw the term around like, you know, in, certain pieces of marketing, you know, we called it the recovery spectrum, you know, and like, who, who are we to judge? I, I think that that's, that was huge for me. It's like, who am I to judge? I'd never had a heroin issue. I was really just cocaine and alcohol. Um, so there was really no sort of long-term treatment for that, you know, medically assisted treatment for that. So it was very eye-opening to hear the discussions and read the discussions and, and participate in the discussions about, you know, these alternative ways of recovery that are not based in 12 step. Right. And then there were also the other abstinent based programs that weren't based in 12 step too. But I think that, um, I'm sad because I had you pull a bunch of clips and I don't see the cat Marnell song in them. So, oh, um, well, I think we played that enough. No you can play way. It. Where is it? I don't know. It's gone. So it's not gone. I just found it. Didn't take me long to find it either, huh? Impressive. Yeah, I didn't know where it was, so I went back to one of our great uh, uh, compilation episodes, the the five-year anniversary show, and I found the Cat Marnell apology song from Vladimir Putin Jr. And uh, I remember, like, I felt so bad about the way the Cat Marnell thing had, had ended. And Sam, you didn't tell me you made the song. You just emailed it to me. And right. um, and I laughed my ass off. So I need to play it right now. Here, here's here's the apology song from Vladimir Putin Jr. This is my apology song to Vladimir Putin Jr. I just don't know what I was thinking. It's just that Cat Marnell is so hot. Cat Marnell is so hot. I guess this one really got away from me, especially when she said your whole name, especially when she yada yada your whole email. I don't know what I was thinking. It's just that Cat Marnell is so hot and crazy. Cat Marnell is so hot and crazy. I just, she was so irreverent, and I just think that that's her brand. And um, anyway, I, it was remarkable. She blocked. She she went out of her way to find people connected to the Dopey Nation and to the Dopey Podcast and blocked everybody. She must have blocked a hundred people on on twitter which she claimed were all me yeah and she thought that you were you know creating these fake accounts and and um you know little did she know that i'm incapable of doing anything like that right right but yeah i i, I will say to the dopey nation while i'm on my hiatus i'm going to do everything in my power to get Car uh uh cat marnell back is that true or is that hyperbole it is true 
Well, I anticipate Kat Marnell coming back. And that's another thing that I think is just interesting. It was like Kat Marnell came on a while, a while ago. You know, it was a long time ago. And I remember it was the beginning of COVID and we weren't going to have anybody on in, in for a while in person. So I had reached out to her to call in and give her COVID report. And that's when she turned on me. Like that's when she posted on Twitter that I'm like a, a fucking Howard Stern whack packer and this and that. And, uh, and it was in the beginning of COVID that this renewed beef with Kat Marnell was born. Yeah. I wonder what, uh, the, what that timing meant for that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I reached out from my, my personal Instagram to her and she didn't know who I was. And then I was like, can we be friends? And she blocked me. Right. Right. She'll be back. She'll, she will. She'll be back. hundred percent. So when you look back at your storied dopey producing career, like what, what else stands out to you? Um, well, I, I think it's probably the most important thing. And I, and I think you will probably agree is that after Chris died, um, Andrew and, um, Leah and Paulina and Catherine starting the, uh, dopey nation Facebook group. No, not Liam. I mean, it was Andrew, Catherine, Paulina and Leah, not Liam. Leah. Yeah. I thought, it, yeah, yeah. I meant Leah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think that that's that's is one of the coolest things that I've ever experienced. Um, had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with you and Chris, and and the way that people mourned Chris's death um, is it, with those guys founding the Dopey Nation and um, creating a space where they could connect with totally. each other. Yeah. And this dopey yeah. Zoom thing in the history of COVID as 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 the next chapter of it, and we just did a dopey Patreon Zoom last week, and it was really fun, and it was really like beautiful, and um and you were missed, and I and I still even though you're on hiatus, I implore you to come onto one of these dopey Zooms again. Okay. And you could tell your story again. <laughs> uh. I feel like my story is pretty exhausted, uh, you know, and I just will say just with everybody that ever comes on the show or anybody that, you know, tries to summarize their entire life uh, using history, drinking history, you know, trauma history. It's it's really hard to spit it out in a coherent way. So uh, thanks for hanging in here uh, with me and Dave, uh, you know, while I tried to do that today and have done in the past and it's just, it's a really tricky thing. The whole podcasting interview scenario is, is, uh, it's unusual. Um, You know, you know, you saying this is going to make me jump ahead for a second because there's big news in the doposphere and Sam also quote, you know, he, he invented the term, the doposphere, right? Hold on. Can you hear the applause? I hear that. I can't hear it for some reason. Um, so Sam invented the word doposphere, and um, this is big news. You ready, Sam? You know the news, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. In the beginning of December, I went to Los Angeles to. Um, and should I should I come, should I tell the story now? Yeah. All right. So I went to Los Angeles because in the beginning of De- I. I Listen, obviously, if you listen to this show and you're a hardcore listener of the show, you know that I have severe mental illness. 
we made jokes that Chris had SMI, whatever, but I have severe mental illness. I like, I'm fucked up. And one of the things that I do that's fucked up is I'm relentless. And sometimes it serves the show. And sometimes it, it might be serving the show, but it's bad for me. And, uh, and I go crazy and I did this and I still to this day do it with, uh, Artie Lang. Like I'm relentless with him, even though he's, you know, not re recipro reciprocal. Is that the word I'm looking for? Yeah. He does not reciprocate your zeal for him. No, although he did. I mean, just the fact that he wrote back to me recently and then never wrote back to me again is kind of off putting. And, and I'd say like most of the really good guests that we've ever had, we got because of my insanity, basically. Um, for sure. So like I was like that with Marin and Marin, Mark Marin had come on the show, uh, you know, because of some crazy, you know, God shot synchronous moment in the universe. And, and it was amazing. And then I kind of wanted to remain friends with him, which went badly. And I wanted to, to keep up a communication with him, which went badly. So finally, I, I like developed some kind of self-respect and I stopped reaching out to him. So after not reaching out for a while, I reached out and he wanted to come to Katz's and he came to Katz's <clears throat> and I bought him lunch and he invited me to go on his show. And what he said was, anytime you're in LA, give me a call and you can come on the show. And I was like, I have two kids. I work in a deli. I'm not going to just be in LA. Just tell me when to come on. And we wound up getting a date and I went out and I recorded uh, Mark Marin's show with him. And just the way you're describing your experience, talking about your drug history, was exactly what my experience on his show was. Yeah, it, it, it never goes as smoothly as you have it sort of mapped out in your head. Well, I had all sorts of ideas, like I was going to talk about the Othello cookie and I was going to talk about this. And instead, it became this extended talk about me fucking up over and over and over and he's just like dude let's get on with it like he had just interviewed Halle Berry and I'm like and then I was in Florida and I'm you know it's like it's just it wasn't a, a, a traditional Mark Marin interview and it was something I always wanted to do and I I wound up feeling exactly the way you feel now being here right right well you're you I mean you are a professional podcaster I will say that you are um, and you do, you have a, a lot of great skills and you guide the show. It's your job to guide the interview. So the guest is really at the mercy of, about how you want to move forward within the interview. So in this case, me just now, you, uh, on Mark Marin's show, you know, you had to experience that same thing and it's not an easy prospect, my friend. No. So, so Dopey Nation this week on Thursday, supposedly my episode of what the fuck is coming out. So st stay tuned and stand down, my friends. Me, Brad. Jen. Yeah, that's huge news. I mean, to me, this is as big as This American Life or the BBC interview or, you know, any huge, gigantic milestones that have ever happened in the doposphere. Except that I'm experiencing that horrible shame feeling of, of, of having not had a great experience. I mean, it was awesome to go there. And he was really cool, and it was awesome to meet him. I'm just scared like I wasn't good. Yeah, well, just knowing you as I know you and having worked so intimately for the last three and a half years, um, it's always better than you think it is. I mean, Dopey Nation, I get calls 
from Dave, you know, sort of not on the daily, but, you know, very often it's like, ugh, I've got a problem or, uh, you know, it, it, it's not going well. But it, I mean, I think that that's what you had said to me. It's your, you know, it's your, what, what would you say? It's not the dark passenger. What's Gabor Mate's? Oh, the stupid friend. The stupid friend. Yeah, that's your, stu- your stupid <laughs> friend is really prevalent. Right. And, and the stupid friend is negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm an idiot. This sucks. It's not good. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and that shit runs me all the time, you know. And, and in some ways, I always, and I, and I talk about this at meetings all the time, is like, I feel like fear keeps me honest. And like, fear is like this amazing filter so that the quality, I mean, don't you think that my fear helps make the show better sometimes? Or would you say no? Uh, I, I would say it has a, uh, a negative effect in general. I mean, I think that... Uh, you know, I think there's healthy fear, but uh, you know, the fear that I know that you have, um, is so irrational to me because I know you're good. The listeners, dopey nation, everybody knows that you're good. Um, you know, and it's just a question of you, you know, convincing yourself and like, you know, kicking the, um, stupid friend out the, the, the car moving at 60 miles an hour. You just need to eject that fucker. Right. And it's like, and I think that's like another thing just moving forward into the new year. Like I'm not big on new year's resolutions or anything. And like another thing that just happened was I injured my foot last week and I, um, I think I like strained a tendon playing with the kids and, um, and then I walked on it too much and it hurt and I'm Googling like, what could this B and um and gout came up as a potential reason for it and diabetes well no let's get let's get to the diabetes in a second and uh and first i was like i don't it's not it didn't look like gout in the pictures and i and, and then you read about gout and and all i could read about was like gout was from if you eat too much organ meat <laughs> or like liver and stuff and i was like i don't need any organ meat or too much rich meat and i was like i don't eat that much rich meat and, um, and then I'm, I'm limping around the house and like, I'm putting all my weight on one side of my foot and I wound up stepping on one of Susan's hair clips that's got like a little piece of metal sticking out. And I stepped on it so hard. It just hurt so bad. And after that, the rest of my foot blew up and it looked like gout. And then also, if you Google foot pain, diabetic foot <laughs> comes up and I was certain that I had diabetic foot and people like, I know somebody who had his foot cut off because of diabetic foot. And, um, and then Linda starts reading about gout. And one of the big things in there is like too much sugar. And like, I've made eating sweets like shtick. Like it's like, it's my drug of choice at this point. Sweets are my drug of choice at this point. Definitely. So I'm, I'm, and and like, I'm going into the new year. Like we used to like make a a joke about the dopey fitness challenge as a thing. And we never really followed through with it. Even though like I did start doing like hundreds of pushups every day and hundreds of sit-ups every day, but I'm ready. Like, and I did the stupid keto thing, you know, for an extended period on the show, which was all for cosmetic weight loss purposes. But I want 2022 as Sam takes his extended hiatus for his own 
uh, pursuit, spiritual, physical, mental, and creative. I want to make it the 2022 is the year of fitness or year of healthiness, healthy, healthy year. Like, yeah, I want to figure out a way to do it so I can still do on the YouTube channel though, that I, I do Ben and Jerry's tastings. Is that possible? Yeah, just, yeah. Well, I think you just do small spoonfuls. Cause I know that is your, uh, your goal to, you know, have a dopey flavor, which I think that would be awesome. Linda just tested positive for COVID. Hold on. That's the other big news in real time. Today is Friday, uh, New Year's Eve day, December 31st, 2021. Sam is quitting the show. I am going on Mark Marin next week. And Linda just tested positive for COVID. Wow. Those are huge headlines. Huge headlines. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of news. Um, yeah. I was sure I had COVID this week too, but I took a rapid test and it was negative. You say false negative. I'd say that the home at home, from what I understand, at home uh, COVID tests provide a lot of false negatives, but they don't provide false positives. So um, I'm sure she has it probably. And hopefully that you and the family and the girls don't have it. Well, the good news is we don't have to go anywhere. I just hope we can watch TV the whole time. Yeah. Well, what a way to bring in the new year with COVID. And television. And television. So, Sam... You know, we're winding down the New Year's Eve show. Why don't we talk about some of your uh, New Year's resolutions? Well, I... Do you like New Year's resolutions? I I do, actually. I've come across a bunch of New Year's resolutions from the past that somehow I managed to save. Wait, how did you save them? In a shoebox. Nice. Or stuffed in a book. Um, but they're all things like learn to play guitar and learn to speak Spanish and, you know, shit like that, um, that are young man's pursuits, David. Right. Uh, and so this year I just, I, I, I was mentioning earlier that, um, you know, I haven't been happy. I have been resentful. I've been living in like fucking a world of resentment and, you know, and, I don't know what that's about, but I want to find out and I want to be liberated from the, you know, the poison and the toxic of these of my past and, you know, uh, learn how to live in the moment and learn how to live in joy. I know that sounds pretty trite. And I sound, how could it sound trite? It, it maybe it sounds a little bit cheesy, but it's it's yeah. like all we could want to do is live in joy. That's how it's, it's like. What else is there? Yeah. And I just I haven't been um, for, you know, a number of years and would you um, say the last three years to be exact three years, four months and two weeks to be exact. Uh, no, it had <laughs> nothing to do with that. It's just where I'm at. I think in this, um, current, um, period of sobriety. And I just think as I'm getting older and I'm, you know, I'm looking at, you know, uh, a shorter lifespan than the one I've already lived. And, uh, that's, weird to say, but, um, you know, I want to make the most of it. I want to live each day, um, happy and productive. And, um, you know, I just, I, it's all about moving forward. And so I, I definitely want to put the past behind me and, um, you know, I just, I want to be a better guy and, um, nicer to my friends and family and, you know, all that. So I'm going to do some introspection. I'm actually going to be working with a, sort of a groovy guru. I live in the mountains. Um, so I've I always thought you hated groovy gurus. 
it, I, this guy's really different. He's um, groovier than your average groovy guru. Yeah, he's way more low key, and it's just every word has like gravitas and and um, meaning, and 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 I understand what he's saying. But I, and I think that that you know I think we're we're also different, and um, like when we go to treatment and we get we go to a, a rehab center and we get treated like you know uh, we're cookies in a cookie factory, and their treatment is cookie cutter. And, um, can you, we please, don't can you stop talking about cookies, please? Yes. Yes. Diabeto. Um, that we all, we all respond to, to things that we need. Um, so like, I don't, I don't respond to aggression therapy. I respond to a loving sort of nurturing, uh, kind of therapist. And so I've found a guy up here and I'm going to be working with him and I don't know what that's going to look like and how often I'm going to see him. But, um, uh, I, I'm just looking forward to, you know, fuck, you know, being at peace with my past, with my present and, and, you know, and hopefully a, you know, productive future. And do you anticipate coming back to the dopey show repurposed and galvanized? Perhaps. I, I don't know what's, what's in store, um, in these coming months and or years, but, um, but, you know, Dopey is always going to be in my heart and uh, so will you and uh, and everybody associated with the show and the Dopey Nation. So um, we'll see, Dave. Now, let me ask you this. As a soothsayer, I don't know if that's the right expression, but as a prognosticator, what yeah. do you, even though you will be taking a step away from the doposphere for an extended period of time, and we have no idea how long that will be for, what do you see in the upcoming year in the doposphere? Whoa, I don't know, man. I see you hustling like you've always hustled. I think you're going to have to hustle a little harder. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Um, but, but I think that just means when you're at, you know, making the show, I don't think you can hustle harder trying to get guests or, you know, do the best interview that you can. Cause you, I, I think you're maxed out on that. And, and I think you'll continue to do that. I think it's just that me as a security blanket for you, uh, throughout various processes, um, you're going to have to just fill those holes and, but I, I know you can do it. And I see bigger guests. I see some old guests coming back. Do you see I, Jake the Snake Roberts returning perhaps this year? Is he still alive? I think he is still alive. What do you see? Do you see Cat Marnell coming back this year? Yay or nay, soothsayer Sam? I say yay. I say at the end of 2022. Would you think that you might come out of retirement for the Cat Marnell refurbished dopey episode? Fuck yeah. Do you see... Uh, downtown Ray Brown ever returning to the show? I, I can't say for certain. Outlook that not so good. <laughs> my my crystal ball is very fuzzy. Okay, very, well, how about uh, Robert Downey Jr.? Do you see him coming to the Dopey Show this year? No. Okay, how about uh, who else have I always wanted to get on Dopey? Uh, Keith Richards. Yeah, it's a hard. Yeah, it's a hard now. Um, who else we got? Uh, do you think Artie? Do you think Artie will return to Dopey in 2022? I do. I do. I, I think I know that he's he's got a show back up on track. Um, but 
I, I just don't see that going anywhere. And I think he needs the, the dopey effect for him. Yeah, Sam's never been the biggest Artie fan. Just to to be to keep it at one hundred, as they say have, in the street. I have never found Artie to be particularly funny. I love but Artie, I, but, but but I I'm rooting for him. I want him to stay sober. I want him to, you know, continue making comedy for his fans that love him because I know that there's a ton of them. Um, but I do see him. I I mean, I literally think that if he came on and did a good performance on the Dopey Show that um, it would help his own podcast. Do you think it would get, you think we could galvanize the career of the great Artie Lang? I do. I think that. Do you think Dopey is the greatest addiction podcast, addiction recovery, you know, podcast out there, Samuel? Um, after, um, after church and other drugs, rehab confidential other drugs and the share podcast. I think it's, it's top three. Fucking what about recovery in the middle ages? Uh, that's a pretty sweet one too. It's all bad. Fucking yeah, we'll, we'll left coast. Top, we'll put you in the top 10. Top 10. <laughs> Bottom <laughs> of the top 10. Um, so what else you got? You want to do this, uh, this, this exclusive reading of the dopey Facebook, uh, post before we go, or you want to be done? No, let I want to, uh, let's read the, uh, Facebook post. And also before we do, I want to say dopey nation, send an email, send in voicemails to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I will be sending socks for any voicemails that played. And also if your voicemail played and I haven't sent you socks, send me another email with your address reminding me to send you socks. Cause I need that. It, Dave, what, what, why is it on the dopey nation to, uh, remind you to make good on that? Because if, if I don't remember, what am I supposed to do? Just never send it. Or can I get a reminder? Well, I know, but you shouldn't need a reminder. You well, should you just... shouldn't need a year of spiritual rejuvenation. We all need something. <laughs> what the fuck? Everyone needs a little bit of help. How can I do everything? Uh, because you like to do everything. I need help. Okay. Uh, Dopey Nation, if I, if I owe you socks, write in an email. Just write me a fucking email. I'll send you the socks. If I owe anyone anything, please remind me. If you guys want Dopey merch, we've got amazing Dopey merch on DopeyPodcast.com. I also have incredible beanies, hats, and socks sitting on the shelf. Uh, I need to sell them, so please buy them. And then if I don't ship them, please remind me to ship them. Also, our YouTube channel is on fire, so please subscribe to the Dopey YouTube channel as well. And now Sam will read this amazing post on Facebook that we found. You ready, Sam? Yeah, I, I need to um, put it up. Okay, this is Jesse's Facebook post. Um, In the Dopey Nation Facebook group. Posted on the Dopey Nation So I had a really horrendous experience when I first got to the rooms, in quotes. I was living in a recovery house that cost $170 a week. Yikes. And the girls who had been living there already didn't seem very welcoming to anyone. There were there were requirements, of course. You had to do a 90 and 90 intensive outpatient, get a sponsor, home group, do the steps. And if you didn't do those things, you couldn't stay. There was an 18 year old girl there, Summer. Summer decided she didn't want to stay. And the house director caught wind of it and basically kicked her out, saying, why even waste our uh, water uh, one one more night? Summer left and died. I got a sponsor, did the steps, but something just didn't feel right. I was told I had to make friends outside of the house. I really only had one or two solid friends, and one was my roommate. I already have social anxiety, but I figured, fuck it, what's the worst that could happen? 
these girls look happy. So I go out on a limb. I introduce myself to people, try to make friends, but nothing stuck. The people in that town were already in their own impenetrable posses. After I finished the steps, I wrote another four steps solely on the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because, bitch, I had some resentments. And you know what? They were never settled. And I don't care anymore. There are articles upon articles on how 12-step might have been the cure 75 years ago. But it's dated now, especially for a heroin fentanyl addict in 2021. I'm sorry, but when I read the big book, I laugh. I can't relate to somebody putting milk in their whiskey to try and cut down. And I know I'm not alone. That's the reason I love Dopey so much. I got my medical marijuana card in 2019 for opiate dependency, and I am so, so grateful that my state acknowledged that cannabis can be used as a tool for some of us. I just wanted to say it's okay to be 100% abstinent if that's what you have to do, but, that, but what's not okay is making people who don't make that same choice feel like shit for it. Thank you for letting me share, Jesse. It's a great, great post. I think it's a really great post, too. I don't think that they put milk in the whiskey to cut the whiskey down. I think it was his surreptitious way to think he could drink, though. Yeah, I don't even know what that was about. I think it's just because I, I no, I do. I think it's it's, you know, if you can drink like a gentleman or you can drink beer or drink wine and not hard liquor, I think, you know, or maybe it was his breakfast. I don't know. But but I think w the one thing that I do identify with is that it is an old text. And there are things that don't necessarily relate to, you know, modern society and especially young people in society. And, I, you know, um, and there's a lot more in there. There's so know? much I could relate to in this in this post. And I have some jealousy in the post. Like there was no option to get a, a cannabis card when I was getting out of my opiate addiction. I would have gotten a cannabis card in a second uh, to deal with my opiate addiction. Like, um, and I have some, like I was in the gas station on, it was Christmas Eve. It was Christmas day. Right. And, um, and I was going to the gas station to buy diet Coke to drink at my in-laws house, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they passed recreational weed in New York last year. And I had this moment at the gas station where I was like, holy shit, they probably sell weed vapes in the gas station now, you know? And I had this, I, I had like a moment, like, like all of a sudden, like in my head, I was like, I could buy a weed vape right now and no one would know. And like, it was crazy, crazy moment. Well, yeah. And didn't you just say that they have like, you know, food trucks that are actually like weed dispensaries on the street in front of Katz's? Yeah. But that feels like going to like a spot. This right. didn't feel like that. Um, right. and like, and, and, and listen, I'm, I'm happy in my abstinence. I loved smoking weed. I have a great romantic view of my stonerdom, but I'm happy in my abstinence and my abstinence has made it possible to make this show, to do the things that I do, to be a good father, to, to, to do what I'm doing. Like abstinence is pretty much, it, it's pretty much required in order for me to keep going the way that I'm going. But I love the way that Jesse described her experience and I love that she feels like that Dopey is open like that because we want it to be open and we want it to be inclusive and we want people to be comfortable with their reality and that we don't preach anything. And like the original doctrine of Dopey was let your freak flag fly. It should always be the, 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 the doctrine, you know, for everybody always. Exactly. So I, I like that. Um, 
I do really appreciate uh, her post and her membership in the the doposphere. And you know, when I ask for emails and voicemails, the real reason I ask for it is because it, it shows your participation in this world that that we've created. And, and like, I know a ton of people listen, and I hear from people all the time. But when we can play your shit in the show, it, it's deeper than that. You know, and uh, and I don't want the show to end because I don't want it to be your last show, Sam. It makes me sad. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm always a phone call or an email or. You, well, know, you think I'm going to start emailing you now? You can slide into my DMs, Dave. That's okay. I don't. Although, see- I, another thing that I am doing for my mental fucking health is that I am going to t- uh, take a leave of absence from all social media too. So how so, long um, are you going to tweet that you got off of Facebook and Instagram before you're done? I, I'm not. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna. For those that I don't want to lose contact with, I'm going to reach out and say, um, that I'm leaving and that, um, you know, here's my contact info and I'd rather connect that way through than through social media. Well, um, I've packed my bags. I'm ready to go. Right. So, right. so when are you leaving social media? Well, as soon as all that's done, but you know, probably tomorrow. Actually. Wow. So first, yeah. first the doposphere, then social media. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, I'm, yeah, but there, there's a gazillion reasons why I'm doing all of it, but you know, it all boils down to just mental and spiritual fitness. And, um, do you anticipate me calling you this week to get help on the show? Oh, fuck. Yeah. I will not ask for help this week on the show. I will respect your boundaries. I will not put myself in that position to be rejected by your boundaries. Well, good. And you are in a position. I think you are fully set up to, you know, to flourish, to, to kick ass and flourish as a professional podcaster. No, I've, man, been, I've, I've been doing it for many years. I know. So, you know, I can understand that, you know, uh, you know, we have been a great team. We've gone through a lot and we, the show's evolved and, um, you know, this is just another chapter. It is another you know? chapter. And it, and it's like, I cannot, I, I cannot thank you enough. Um, and tell you, I mean, like I'm mostly nervous. Like when Chris died, I was mostly nervous about how would the show be fun after Chris died and you helped me make the show fun. You brought fun to my process. And now I'm mostly like, I'm not worried about how to do an interview or how to put a show together. I'm worried about how to enjoy the process without having you to call and talk about it all the time. Right. Well, I'm certain it'll be less fun, um, but it, 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 it will evolve into a way that, you know, y- you will be able to make it fun. Um, oh, yeah, I'm going to figure something out because that's what life is. We got to right. adapt. We got to grow. Um, and, and like you are available if, 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 I'm fucked. I know that you're my friend and I can reach out to you. I just can't, I can't decide that that's the process anymore. Right. Right. Um, anyway, it's been a wild year. Linda has COVID. I probably have COVID. The kids probably have COVID. Um, I don't have, you don't have COVID. I don't. So you want to, you want to close this one out? Last, last one of the year, last one for a while from you. Yeah. Dopey nation. Everybody, uh, around the doposphere and who 
listeners of the Dopey Podcast, it's been my sincere honor and privilege and um, uh, to be of service, really. This is this is my service work, as bullshit as it is. It, it's kept me connected. It's kept me um, uh, around recovery and addiction, which is a place that I always need to stay near um, in the future. I can't forget that you know, who I am, really. Um, and I won't. And, um, before you, before you cut it off though, wouldn't you say I taught you a lot about the world of podcasting? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd never really listened to a podcast before I listened to the dopey podcast. Me neither. With you and Chris. I know. So, uh, yeah, it's been fun. It has been Uh, fun. Um, yeah. All right. So, all right. Did I fuck up you taking us out? No, I can go ahead and say it. And one thing that I've always wanted Dave to say, but he's never said it, is uh, is this. Mantente fuerte, nación dope. Which is Spanish for stay strong, dopey nation. Stay, and thank to, you. I'm sorry. Do you want to do toodles for Chris in Spanish too? Uh, toodles de para, Chris. Toodles para Chris. Si, senor. Claro que si. Thank you, Sam. The show would not have been the show it's been for the past three years and four months without you. You've done amazing work. I love you, and I appreciate uh, everything you've done. And uh, Dopey Nation, onward and upward, Excelsior, we'll do our best. Fucking stay strong, everybody, and fucking toodles for Chris. And happy fucking New Year. But before we go, Sam has always contributed a lot of stuff to the show. But for some reason, I find... This original composition set to as a parody to the Cheers theme really, really makes me feel emotional. Sam, do you have a comment about this before we go? Um, <coughs> no, I, I, I think it's pretty fitting, though. So all I will say is cheers. Cheers for everything. Cheers to you, Dave. Uh, cheers to Alan, Linda, everybody, Ray, Aurora all the usual suspects and unusual suspects. Happy new year and cheers. Are you feeling emotional now, Sam? Yeah, a little bit. And you guys ready to to cry your eyes out? Here's Sam's rendition of cheers. Stay strong and happy new year. Fucking toodles for Chris. Trying to score from the plug today, I sure could use a shot. Zannies are helping, but I need more. Guess I'll smoke some pot. I'm about to go insane. Sometimes I need to go where everybody does cocaine. The troubles will go away I want to be where everybody does cocaine You should you dope, I'll smoke some crack Junkies are all the same I want to be where everybody does cocaine
Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I wanna be good so bad I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I wanna take a ride up in the sky Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I wanna be good so bad Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had and my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I wanna be good so bad Wanna be good so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had these suckers make me mad and I want to call my dad and it's all I ever had 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 and these suckers make me mad and it's all I ever had and I want to call my dad and it's all I ever had and it's all I ever had and it's all I ever had